We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my beautiful friends. So wonderful to connect with you on this glorious spring day. I hope you're having a fantastic day as well. Uh, Yes, relationships. Do you know the feeling you get when you first fall in love? It's intoxicating, isn't it? The colors seem brighter, the planet seems sparklier, and life takes on a dreamlike quality. Wouldn't it be great if we could live in a constant state of wonderment, romance, and eternal bliss? The characters in fairy tales seem to consistently live happily ever after. If they can, why can't we? But so often, the relationship where we initially felt so connected and the same as our beloved can change, and we eventually feel so separate and alone. Have you ever had the experience of thinking certain qualities, characteristics, and habits as being really cute in the beginning of a relationship, only to end up being the same exact qualities that drive you crazy later on? For whatever reason, it seems the early enchantment in our romantic partnerships fall to the wayside through the twists and turns, bumps and bruises of everyday life. Often pain, disillusionment, and disappointment can leave many wondering if happily ever after is really attainable or realistic. Something I believe to be true is that successful love relationships take creativity, flexibility, transparency, vulnerability, and strong boundaries. To quote my guest and relationship expert today, love is more an art than a science. He also says the measure of a good relationship is not only how well you get along, but how well you resolve your conflicts. I'm excited to be having this conversation about how to make our love relationships last with Andrew Wald. He co-wrote a book that beautifully blends spirituality and practicality called Togetherness. This book serves as a powerful guide to lasting love. Andy has been a psychotherapist since 1974. He holds a degree in social work with a clinical specialty and has logged over 50,000 hours in therapy sessions with individuals, couples, families, and groups. Andy has also received advanced certifications in Imago Relationship Therapy, Gestalt Therapy, and Neuro-Linguistic Programming. So, Andy, you are quite the expert in relationships, and I'm so honored to be having this conversation with you today. Thank you for having me on. Very exciting. I read your book, and I love it. It really is. It's so beautifully written, and it really is like a guide for people. I love how it is introspective, and it gives people the opportunity to really immerse themselves in this healing journey. So I'd like to know a little bit about how togetherness came into being? Sure. Um, my co-author, uh, Cindy Dale, and I have known each other for about 15 years. She is a spiritual energy worker, therapist, and a healer uh, who has uh, already herself written 15 books before this one. And we were talking, she, she is uh, good friends of my wife's sister, so uh, my sister-in-law's good friend, and we were talking uh, about our different perspectives and uh, how a lot of what we see in our work is so similar 
uh, dealing with love and dealing with uh, difficulties of the relationship. In fact, probably 99% of the people that we see uh, have uh, issues regarding relationships. So we thought it would be a very interesting blend to have her spirituality and energy work combined uh, with my uh, psychological and practical uh, way of looking at things. And we created this book as a result. Mm. I like it very much. I talk about spirituality and psychology being like the two sides of a coin, and one without the other is incomplete. So I absolutely agree with you, and I, I got a sense of that reading your book, that you do blend these two sides of the coin in a way that's very comprehensive and very effective. Yeah, a way of explaining that or an example might be if she sees a problem, she might see it as a past life issue or karma, whereas I might view it as something that occurred early in childhood and is being played out in modern day. So we combine the two into this yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, I do past life regression with clients, and I also um, have a degree in psychology. So you can look at the childhood, or you can go further back, depending on what works for the client. And so, yeah, you you hit it from a lot of different perspectives and directions, which I think makes it very um, accessible, probably to most every reader. Right. Something you said uh, in the introduction, I'd like to just mention something about, if you don't mind. Absolutely. You said that in the beginning of relationships, everything is uh, wonderful and starry-eyed, and then mm-hmm. things start to go sour. Uh, and uh, I have a, a, a perspective about that, and that is that what I think happens is that uh, in a relationship, in the beginning, there are great heights uh, that we obtain uh, through the relationship. After a while, those heights uh, start to come down, but we substitute it for great depth in a relationship. Depth can only come in time, and when we have depth, I think that's a greater and long-lasting piece than uh, just great heights. Yeah, it can be, and and it'd be you know, wonderful if people understood that, but so often I think people become disillusioned when the depth, the opportunity for depth presents itself because they want the the fun and the joy and the highs. Right. And, In fact, you know, most it's hard relate- to go the distance. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's just, it seems like most people have a real challenge going the distance if you look at the statistics for oh, absolutely. divorce. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. In fact, most, uh, a lot, I shouldn't say most, many relationships end when that uh, uh, sparkle, the uh, beginning of that relationship, uh, wears off. They think that there's something wrong with the relationship. Yeah, so they go on to look for for another sparkly situation. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's interesting. So you're missing the real opportunity for, I think, the soul growth. Exactly. Exactly. The soul growth can come in time. And it keeps growing, by the way. It never stops if you're in a relationship. I've been married now 39 years, and it it continues to grow. Mm. And it's beautiful when you can look at it that way. You know, so often people will come to me saying they, they're bored. And I'm like, how can you be bored? You're an aspect of the infinite as your partner is. And if you know that and continue to want to learn and explore within yourself and with this partner, it doesn't ever have to get boring. No, you know, if it gets boring, take a look at what's going on and create some excitement. I mean, uh, <laughs> you, you don't, your hands aren't tied. 
No, that's true. But it's just a different way of looking at relationships. So I really appreciate that about your teachings. Something else I really, really loved about what I've read and what I know about what you teach is the subject of boundaries. Absolutely. And I don't know about you, but so often when people come to me and and for, for the reason of couples counseling, they're completely enmeshed and they keep thinking it's the other person's fault. Do you <laughs> see that a lot? <laughs> Uh, a whole lot, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the enmeshment is uh, a, a typical uh, reason that people do come in uh, with, with an issue regarding boundaries. Let me talk about boundaries. Uh, she brought it up. Uh, I think it's really a misunderstood concept. Uh, people, uh, there, there are boundaries or rules uh, everywhere we look. Uh, you know, you'll see no smoking sign, no trespassing, no right turn, <clears throat> no cell phones on planes. Uh, those are rules. And people, I think, tend to um, confuse rules with boundaries in a relationship. I see boundaries in a relationship more as a guideline. And it's, uh, it's, it's not a keep-out sign. It's not a uh, rejection. And it is really important, in fact, essential, I think, to a good relationship. And the reason is, is that boundaries help us uh, define ourselves, and it also helps us define how we want to be treated in the relationship. And, it, uh, and so in that way, it clarifies and actually embraces a relationship. It shows that we're we're separate people. We do have things in common, and and we are also separate. You were talking about earlier how, in the beginning of a relationship, it seems like everything we have is in common. You know, we we even uh, cut our broccoli in the same way. It's amazing how similar we are. And then uh, after a while, we suddenly realize how different we are, and then uh, the boundaries uh, start to uh, come up. If uh, uh, if we don't respect boundaries, uh, then we are in danger of becoming, as you talked about, uh, enmeshed. Uh, we are, uh, I think, in danger of becoming abused. Uh, we can be uh, a pleaser uh, or we uh, like have a relationship with our own shadow. It's, uh, uh, it's something that can be a big problem if we don't uh, respect our sense of uh, I have a great example of that, um, yes, please. If, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah. There was this um, uh, couple that I saw where he was a Greek and she was from the Czech Republic. And uh, they, uh, he loved kissing her in public. So he would do that. And every time he did that, she would uh, turn her face. And he felt terribly rejected, couldn't understand uh, why. And this is really the key to also boundaries is explaining why uh, you, uh, things you, do, uh, you have a certain boundary. And in my office, they uh, were talking about it, and she was able to explain to him that where she came from in the Czech Republic, if you kissed in public, you were thought of as a prostitute. And when he heard that, which was totally different from where he grew up uh, in the, the Greek islands, uh, that uh, it, it made all the difference in the world to him. 
and uh, he was able to uh, adjust his behavior. And actually, they, they created a compromise where uh, he, they would just be able to hold hands in public, and that that seemed to uh, that that seemed to make a, a big difference. Also, by the way, there's this tremendous danger if you don't speak up, uh, as you talked about uh, in Meshman. I actually saw this uh, woman, uh, this is quite a while ago. She brought in her new uh, fiancé, and she told me an interesting story uh, that she had been married for 10 years and had not had one argument with her husband until the day she left. She learned uh, where she came from that you uh, go along to get along, and uh, that's uh, that's what happens if you uh, if you don't speak up. Yeah, it certainly seems like if you don't, you're going to be accumulating resentments, and that backpack's going to get pretty full over the course of time. Right. It's really important uh, to have boundaries, especially if uh, the boundaries. Uh, uh, are a way of taking care of yourself mm-hmm. uh, and um, um, keeping yourself uh, safe. And also if it has to do with uh, self-esteem. Like I had uh, this, uh, this one couple where uh, the husband uh, felt it was his right to uh, have sex with his wife every night. And she went along with this for a while, but after a while... Uh, her self-esteem started to uh, have an effect, and she started to feel very badly about herself, again, feeling uh, like she was his whore. And uh, so she finally spoke up. It was very difficult for him to understand, but uh, uh, that was a boundary that if she didn't speak up would have hurt her uh, and the relationship moving forward terribly. Yeah, I can certainly see that. You know, when I was in school, they had mentioned, and I thought this was such a fascinating concept. They said, in healthy relationships, you make God first, yourself second, and your partner third. And I thought to myself, well, that's not a very romantic notion. (laughs) But I've come to understand it's what puts us on solid ground within ourselves. And we really need that if we want to be solid in a relationship with another. That's right. That's right. Also, when you, when it's important to note that when you say no, uh, to your partner, that's not saying, and you're saying yes to yourself, that doesn't mean that you're saying no to the relationship. Uh, right. It's not about a, a power struggle, uh, but what you're really saying no to is a particular event and not the relationship as a whole. And it's important that you distinguish uh, that. And, you know, for instance, uh, it's not good uh, to, uh, to say, no, I'm not going out for uh, Italian food just on principle. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but what, what it is okay is, uh, no, I, I do not want to go to uh, your mother's house for dinner for the third time this week. Uh, I'd rather stay home and uh, take care of myself and read. I think that, that's important. And also... Um, tell me how you say it is really important. A lot of people uh, make the mistake of being very vitriolic when they talk about boundaries and they say it with uh, the sternness and the meanness. And absolutely 100% of the time they get a defensive reaction. It's really important that you say things in a caring, loving way uh, and um, with compassion. And 
like I say, caring. Uh, yeah, something I, I absolutely agree with you. Something I, I believe to be true. It's like if you can say things without withdrawing your approval or respect or your love for another, yes. then that's going to make all the difference in the world in the, the uh, relationship. Absolutely, absolutely. Also, a lot of a lot of boundaries are what I call uh, semi-permeable, and that is they're not rigid. For instance, I had this uh, couple that uh, she uh, didn't like to be tickled, and he liked to tickle her. And he, she said, no, I don't want to be tickled. And they talked about it, and the truth was that there were times that she didn't mind tickling and also tickling him. So they had to distinguish for themselves what was going to be all right and what was not going to be all right, uh, and you know, what's semi-permeable and what's not. I, I have, I, by the way, I have a great story. This is a true story about boundaries. Uh, this is a classic story, I think. Uh, when I was first married, I was 23 years old, and uh, my wife was 22. And uh, you have to keep in mind that she was from a farm town in Iowa where her closest, uh, wasn't even a town, she was out in the rural area, where her closest neighbor was a mile and a half away. And uh, her closest sibling was 12 years younger. I, on the other hand, grew up in an affluent uh, suburb of Chicago surrounded by multitudes of people. So when we first got married, we actually didn't know each other all that well. It was a long-distance relationship, and we didn't have very much money. So what we did for entertainment was to buy bicycles. So we would go biking around the neighborhood. That was our form of entertainment. One day, uh, not long after we had the bikes, my wife took uh, a, uh, a curb the wrong way and you know, went up kind of like on an angle instead of straight, and she fell and scraped her knee. And uh, I did what I was taught to do. Uh, I ran over there uh, and to give her comfort. And uh, as I approached her, she puts up her hand, and she uh, says with a stern, uh, stern face, says, stay away. Hmm. I really did not know how to, uh, uh, to understand that. I was nonplussed by it. Uh, there was no way to compute it. So the only thing I felt uh, in the way she said it was rejection. And sure. being the mature 23-year-old that I was, I ran, I got on my bike and rode off in a huff because I was going to show her what rejection felt like. Hmm. Uh, fortunately, we had the wherewithal uh, that evening to talk about it. And this is what makes all the difference in the world regarding boundaries. Uh, she told me that where she grew up, uh, and we are all products of our environment, that there were, if she fell out of the, like, the only tree in Iowa uh, and hurt her uh, knee, uh, there was nobody around to help her uh, or to lick her wounds, she had to take care of herself. In her era where she grew up, you took care of yourself. So when I came over, I was invading her space. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I totally melted. And uh, all the anger, and actually I felt terrible about riding off net at that point. Uh, and I told her, on the other hand, I grew up exactly the opposite, where uh, people, uh, if somebody got hurt, uh, you had a crowd around you. And uh, so we talked about what we could do, and she told me that what I could do if she got hurt is from a distance, 
uh, like if she fell off her bike, I could ask her, uh, are you all right? And uh, that would be uh, acceptable to her. And, and uh, uh, that what I wanted, if I hurt myself, was to come have her come over and give me kisses and hugs. So it, it was interesting because uh, when, when she's sick, she wants me to close the door and check on her the next day. Uh, and when I get uh, sick, I want her coming in every five minutes asking me if I want something. Uh, and through the years, however, uh, you know, 39 years, we've gotten a lot closer uh, to one another where uh, we're not far apart, actually, in what uh, she wants and what I want. Actually, even to this day, I have to say it's hard for her to ask for a hug. So, but I know she wants it. So I just uh, I just insinuate myself and give her one, and she's grateful. But uh, mm-hmm. it, it all is about being able to uh, talk about you know what's what's wrong. Yeah, uh, it's true, and it, it's about uh, really being able to check in with ourselves and take responsibility and be able to have that conversation, and also be curious about what it's like to be that other person, that not other assuming. Person. Yeah, to not assume that you know and expect them to be like you. Because we are, and I love how you stated it, all products of our environment. That's exactly. And a lot of the stuff is unconscious. Yeah, it is. It is. Until you talk about it, then make it conscious. You know, um, the other piece is that when you take care of yourself and your your significant other supports that, um, then you are in a much better place uh, to be generous to them in return. Mm, so it, it becomes so reciprocal. Yeah, uh, it's sort of like, you know, being on the airplane and putting your oxygen mask on first. That's right. In fact, we talk about that in the book. Yes. You do have to look after yourself first. Uh, that's absolutely right. There's well, one yeah, other- then you're able to give from a full well and take care of another from that place of being really solid within yourself instead of giving from deprivation or, you know. Right. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely yes. want to live in abundance, not deprivation. That's my preference. I've done it both ways, but I'm going to agree with you. (laughs) Learned your lesson, I am sure. Absolutely, the hard way, like most of us have to. Most people, absolutely. So you Um, also mentioned something about false boundaries, and I think you kind of touched on a little bit with your example there. Could you tell me a little bit more about what those are? Well, let me before I get to that, there's one other piece I wanted to uh, talk about, uh, and and that is... uh, uh, it, it's internal boundaries. You know, we have external boundaries, and then we have internal boundaries. And the uh, the internal boundaries are uh, the, the boundary between your head and your heart. And sometimes they don't always mesh, you know. I had a case where this woman wanted to have uh, a uh, – uh, she was married and wanted to keep her relationship and uh, in, and in her head, but her, her husband kept cheating on her. But in her heart, she really knew the truth. And uh, in my work with her, she was able to mesh the two, although sometimes that's very hard to do. And the head and the heart is like combining oil and water. But if you can, uh, yeah, basic truth really uh, comes out. Um, you wanted to talk about unhealthy boundaries. Um, unhealthy, or uh, I think you, you write about it in your book a little bit, false boundaries. Right, right. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, you go into this from, again, a lot of, I 
wasn't really aware of the term internal and external boundaries or false boundaries, but I think this was all really interesting and, and helpful for me to, you know, uh, refine and polish and fine tune this whole subject, which I, I, I love. Yeah, very briefly, um, I, uh, false boundaries, unhealthy boundaries, or sometimes we call it adaptive behavior, are when you do things that uh, avoids uh, the relationship. Uh, for instance, I had somebody in that used to meditate six hours a day and you'd avoid the relationship. There are all kinds of things we call exits, and uh, exits are designed to avoid uh, the relationship because of a fear that if you do, uh, it'll be uncomfortable, uh, anger will come out, resentment will come out, sadness will come out, so you avoid and you create boundaries that uh, uh, avoid it. Sometimes it's done with a tone of voice. Uh, sometimes it's actually done uh, avoiding a relationship because you hide behind your relationship with your children. Uh, and not have a relationship with uh, your your partner. Actually, I've had one case where this, uh, it was a woman who created a boundary in that she uh, joined every single committee she could find at her church, and uh, she was able to justify it because she was doing God's work. But uh, the truth is that she was avoiding her home life and her uh, her husband. When you do that, those are what I call uh, false boundaries. Yeah, I really hear that. And it's like keeping people at a distance. Yeah, keeps people at a distance. That's what I'm hearing. That's yeah, right. That's, that's, that's interesting because, you know, like the, the quality of intimacy, into me, see. And, and you have to be very comfortable within yourself in order to allow somebody else to be, to, to see in you and, and to be that close to you. Is, is that right. accurate? That's right. I like that definition. I think we use it in the book. I'm not sure, but uh, into me, see, it's really intimacy is really about you learning about me and what goes on inside of me. That's what intimacy is. People tend to think of intimacy as only sexual, but it's really spiritual, emotional, and sexual. Yeah, so much, so much more to it than than simply sex. That's right. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, this is. This is really good stuff. I'm excited about. I want to talk to you about the uh, four cornerstones of togetherness. I know you go into that a great deal in your book. And I'm really interested in knowing um, what you see coming up as the biggest problems in relationships, the most consistent problems in relationships. I know you have, again, you've worked for a long time in this arena of relationships, over 50,000 hours. So I know you see certain patterns, and I'm excited to know more about that. Yep. as well as the three most important things we can do to nurture our relationships, as well as the three worst things we can do that will likely destroy a relationship. So you're definitely a wealth of wisdom, Andy, and I'm excited about continuing this conversation. It's some really, really good stuff here. Thank you. So we're going to go to break. When we come back, Andy is going to share with us the four cornerstones of togetherness, the three best things we can do for our relationship, as well as the three worst things. So a lot of really good, important material here with Andrew, Andrew Wald. So we're going to go to break. We'll be right back. I look forward to connecting in a minute. My sport is football, but my passion is education. My name is Namdi Asmoa, and this is how I live united. I see too many kids miss out on moving up. Kids who could go on to college but just need that extra little push. So every year, I take promising high school students on a college tour. We check out the dorms, the library, meet some professors, find out where the best late-night grub stops are. 
It shows them that there's a whole world beyond their own. But what's even better is that most of these kids decide college is for them. I'm Namdi Asamoah. I show kids that a higher education means a brighter future. So when it comes to Living United, I don't just wear the shirt. I live it. Join me. It takes all of us working together to make a difference. Find out how you can live united for education. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Let's say you're a mom and you want to put on the perfect birthday party for your twin daughters. So you get a clown and he dazzles everyone. And you order a cake and have the bakery put something nice on it. Happy birthday, girls. And you hire a pony to give everyone rides. (laughs) And it all goes perfectly. Best party ever, mom. And you're the perfect mom. But even if it doesn't go that way and your clown doesn't dazzle... And the bakery doesn't spell out the right message. Happy birthday, Gil. And the pony doesn't give everyone rides. It can still be the perfect birthday party because kids don't always see things the way you see them. Best party ever, Mom! You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of siblings in foster care who'll take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, go to adoptuskids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. This Adopt is the story the of Council. a boy wizard whose name was Larry Smarter. Larry, why weren't you in Professor Dickie Doodle's mythical creature classification class? Larry wanted to go to college, so he visited knowhowtogo.org to find which classes he really needed. You missed the lesson on telling dragons from dragonflies. Right. Um, I want to go to college, so I'm taking Algebra 2, Biology, and a Foreign Language. Foreign Language? You mean so you can talk to unicorns? Well, not exactly, unless they're French. But Larry had no time for unicorns, or even for Miss Petunia Tutti's time-traveling tutorial, which met every other yesterday at 25 o'clock. Sorry I'm late. My snorkball game went into overtime. And he knew knowhowtogo.org was way better than hoping for a snorkball scholarship. So, while his friends all aced invisibility, when Larry finally got to college... They were nowhere to be seen. Brought to you by the American Council on Education, Lumina Foundation for Education. and You're listening to Empower Radio. Now back to Journey to Center with Dr. Tammy Belashevsky. Hello, my lovely listeners. I'm so happy to be connecting with you here today on Empower Radio and Journey to Center. I'm having a wonderful conversation with Andrew Wald, the co-author of togetherness. I love your philosophies, Andy. Thank you. And I'm really interested in getting into um, your your four cornerstones of togetherness. It sounds like I'm getting the visual of a table needing all four legs. <laughs> that we need all four of these cornerstones. Is that accurate? Yes, yeah, that's true. And actually, I, I can, would like to get into that uh, in a way of talking about, uh, kind of intertwine them with uh, the problems in relationships and how to make relationships work. Certainly, I would love that. Right. Um, let's just uh, let's start with uh, the problems in relationships. You know, in, in the first the first uh, cornerstone is the togetherness within the self when you want to claim your own inherent worth um, and. Uh, the problem when you don't do that, that means when you want to 
feel good about yourself, who you are, and that you are, have been born out of love. When, when you don't do that, when you feel badly about yourself, when you feel you weren't born out of love, when you've been criticized, you tend to take that on and live that way. So um, one of the big pro- uh, the problems in relationships, the big three, uh, can we talk about those? Is, uh, yes, yes. Criticism, shame, and blame. If you, uh, there's no, there is no place in a relationship for criticism, shame, or blame. Uh, people tend to talk about uh, constructive criticism. I'm going to give this person constructive criticism. Doesn't work. Uh, any criticism at all, I think, is uh, only felt as uh, hurt and uh, blame, and it is not helpful. There's a much better way to say things, by the way. And, and the way to say things, and I, I uh, actually coach people on this a lot, is to describe the behavior that you don't like. Describe it objectively. For instance, uh, when you are late picking me up, that's just an objective uh, observation, I end up feeling uh, hurt. I end up feeling uncared for. When you talk about your own feelings, that's inarguable. If you start to blame that you don't care about me, uh, you are selfish, and you start to label the other person, then you're going to create defensiveness. They're not going to hear you, nor will there be any change. Right. Those uh, and one of the, the probably the most important cornerstone, if you will, of a relationship, the bedrock of a relationship is a feeling of safety. You have to feel safe in the relationship. Safe means that you uh, you accept who I am. You may not like everything that I do, but basically you like who I am as a person. That has to be number one. And when you criticize shame or blame, it, uh, it, really, it really takes away from that. Yes, and, I can see where that uh, would fracture the foundation for sure. It fractures it. You know, uh, then you see, if you have safety that builds to trust, then when you have trust that builds to intimacy, if you have intimacy that builds to a passionate marriage, and then if you go further, I think it, it goes to a marriage filled with grace. Uh, some of this is uh, Imago talk, but uh, then I've taken it a little bit further. Um, there, there's, and, and you, you were asking me uh, uh, before uh, when we were speaking, and what, what can you do uh, about that? You know, like if you feel shame. I think you were mentioning asking me before about shame. You know, what do you do about that? Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah, let me tell you a story. It will illustrate that. Um, it's my again. It's a, it's my story. Um, when uh, when I was born, uh, before I was born, my mom had uh, a tremendous relationship with her mother. Very close. They speak two three times uh, a day, and uh, all of her friends had uh, daughters. And uh, uh, actually, uh, when I was uh, older. Uh, she would say, you know, sons are great, but daughters are friends for life. So uh, my uh, older sibling is a brother, and uh, the, uh, uh, when she got uh, pregnant with me, she uh, had very high blood pressure and was told that she could have no uh, other children. I was the last one she was going to have. 
So uh, there was no doubt in my mind, and it was corroborated later, uh, that uh, she wished uh, for a girl. And uh, so when I, uh, I was born, um, I, I have this imagination, I'm not sure this is true, uh, that instead of asking how uh, I was, she would ask what I was. Um, and I, I, uh, it was not uh, that um, secret that she felt a sense of disappointment. So I grew up with a sense of shame and disappointment. Uh, that I, and I couldn't really identify it for a long time. It just it was this dull kind of shame and disappointment. However, when I was able to figure out where it really came from, where it came from, from uh, you know, the, um, being born the, the wrong gender, uh, that uh, I was able to forgive her and myself and get over the sense of uh, shame and be happy with uh, who I am and. Uh, and I uh, use that moving forward. So uh, that's one way to uh, to take care of uh, shame. Um, and that's a big one for us to bring love back to the parts of ourselves that we feel are disappointing or shameful or less than or not deserving. I think that's such an important piece of the healing puzzle when we can bring our own love and compassion to those places inside that feel less than. Exactly. It's so vital. I was a disappointment, too, because I was a girl, so I really feel and hear what you're saying. goes either way. It uh, does. It really does. It goes deep. Yeah, and it goes very deep, right to one's core. Um, and, but uh, I think forgiveness, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, uh, is such an important piece. So the biggest problems that I run into uh, with uh, people coming into my office uh, with, uh, in addition to criticism, shame, and blame, are unrealistic expectations that a partner will uh, have unrealistic expectations of what uh, a marriage, a relationship is going to give them. In other words, they often feel that it's going to give them the missing piece that they never had. Um, I had a, a case where this uh, a woman had a very close relationship with her mother, and her mother died, and she wanted to have that same kind of closeness and connection with her husband. Well, her husband wasn't that kind of guy and couldn't, uh, couldn't do that. And, uh, it, uh, uh, and it took her a while to realize that. And when she did, she really went through a very deep mourning period. But she was able then to create more realistic expectations. Um, sometimes uh, that never changes in the, uh, the person who is married continually feels disappointed uh, in who they're married to. Uh, the other piece is a uh, sense of reasonableness. I love this one, that everybody thinks that they are reasonable. Uh, and because I'm so reasonable, I think you should have my sense of reasonableness. Why? Because I'm so reasonable. And people think that all the time. That's why... Uh, when people come into my office, uh, I uh, often say, uh, you are not me and we're both right. Uh, I love that. I uh, love that. There's no wrong. There's no it's fantastic. Yeah. And it's just uh, y nobody has the same sense of reasonableness, and uh, we're both right in our sense of, of reasonableness. So now what are we going to do? How are we going to make this work for both of us? In fact, uh, that's uh, uh, something I, I emphasize a lot is that when people try to problem solve, to, uh, to work on finding consensus. Nobody's going to push their way or power their way. They have to work together to find something that works for both of them. 
Uh, I have this case where this uh, man has been trying for years to change his wife to be more ambitious, and he just can't do it. And unfortunately, in doing so, he misses all the gifts that she does have because he just focuses on that one thing. And he thinks he's reasonable about it and can't understand why she doesn't adopt and adapt to his way of thinking. Hmm. Uh, the and other that piece- just can build resentment, you know. That can certainly, I think, be um, fodder t- to to create more problems in the relationship. Without a doubt, it does. Yeah. It's a lot yeah. of problems in the relationships, absolutely, and ones that last for a very long time, unfortunately. Um, and then there's uh, unfinished business with our family of origin. Uh, in other words. Uh, if uh, I have, I see this all the time, uh, they, they have a, somebody who comes in who was criticized a lot growing up. Uh, in other words, they could not please their father. And uh, no matter what they did, it was never enough. Uh, and so very often that will get played out with their significant other. Their, their significant other will uh, feel uh, criticized by them and feel that whatever they do is never enough. It gets played out. Uh, so I call that unfinished business. And what if that person can really deal with uh, that maybe their father was unpleasable. Actually, I have a rabbi that I uh, worked with, with uh, who had that. His father was unpleasable, and uh, he was able, after a while, to recognize that and to see that his expectations for himself were unreasonable because whatever he did was never enough and start to nurture that child within and feel better about himself. Yeah, I read about that in your book, and I love it, Um, working with the inner child, becoming aware of that young part of ourselves that didn't get what they wanted or needed, and then start to acknowledge and take care of that form within ourselves in the present time. We can. don't realize that. We can do that. That if we can envision, there's an exercise in the book about that, uh, where we can envision the, the wounded child and have the child talk to the adult part of us with un, uh, and have the adult feel the compassion and understanding and uh, that knowing that this child, uh, the, tell the child that they'll make it and we understand and we'll be with them always. It's very soothing. And that is a way of, uh, of, of healing the child within. And, uh, very... and that's such a core, I think, foundational piece of it. If we can do that for ourselves, we're not unconsciously looking to somebody else to do it for us. That's one of the first things I like to address right. with people. Right. They come yeah. to see me. It's like, okay, let's work with this. Yeah. So, so important. Exactly, exactly. To be able to soothe ourselves is really important. Actually, I think that is a, not the, but a definition of maturity is an ability to soothe ourselves, and that's one way to do that. Uh, Uh I say that we um, become spiritual adults when we can learn to self-soothe and love those parts of ourselves that, you know, we wished would have been treated differently or loved more by parents or somebody outside of ourselves. So I I love that definition. I think that's so on target. We can do it. We can do it to our and for ourselves. We have to uh, be compassionate with ourselves in order to do that. Mm, um, so the last true. piece is a frozen, what I call frozen narrative. In other words, we tell stories about one another. And, uh, you know, when we go to a dinner party or out, uh, we always tell stories. And we have stories about uh, ourselves as well as our partners. And sometimes they are frozen in time. 
uh, for instance, uh, just uh, briefly, uh, when I first got married, uh, my wife made uh, a, a meal and said, well, we'll have leftovers tomorrow. And I said, no, I really you know, wouldn't care to have that. I, you know, I wanted like the next day. So uh, it became a frozen narrative that uh, I didn't like leftovers, period. And uh, that uh, stayed with me for years. That and and, I, and no matter what I did to try to convince her otherwise, she felt I didn't like leftovers. So, but she's finally gotten over that and realized that I do. But she has to think twice now. <laughs> that I like. That's it. interesting. I have not heard that before. Frozen narrative. Does that occur when somebody feels maybe like criticized or like the approval was pulled away? So they kind of just kind of they kind of get stuck in that in some That's regard because. They're, they're not well, hearing it necessarily objectively. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it, there's usually an element of truth that uh, we want to categorize people, and uh, we put people in categories. And then mm-hmm. the unfortunate thing is that we freeze them at that point and not realize that people can change and that we are flexible uh, and uh, are, are apt to change. So we tend to see people you know, one way. And... Uh, Sometimes it gets stuck, and that's the frozen narrative we have about them. Fascinating. So, um, well, I, I love something you talk about in regards to being able to take our differences and use that to make our relationship even better. You talk about the ultimate goal of a difference of opinion being closeness. Exactly. It's fascinating. I don't think most people look at their relationships in that light. So I'd like to hear more about that. Uh, sure, absolutely. Uh, a lot of times people will have a disagreement. And uh, if we can hear what the other person is saying with, uh, without judgment, uh, we may never have uh, an agreement on something. You uh, may like uh, uh, somebody may be a Democrat and the other is a Republican, and they may never see eye to eye. But if they can hear uh, what the other person is saying, uh, and just listen, then there's a possibility of the two of them getting, becoming and feeling closer to one another. I think that's the goal. And, w- and whether you uh, uh, create a resolution or not, if you can feel closer to your partner, that's a great goal. I think, uh, I think that's the ultimate goal, actually. It's very nice. I totally agree. You know? So, so, yeah, something really shifted in, in the quality of my relationships where I decided to be curious rather than be right. Oh, that's Instead of imposing wonderful. my thoughts or beliefs, I just ask questions like, I really want to understand your reality. And from my perspective, that's when a person feels really um, listened to and loved. Yeah. When you want to understand and you ask more questions. And it's, it's interesting how that sense of intimacy or connection can be increased by virtue of that. Absolutely. Uh, uh, being curious about uh, the other person is, is fantastic. That, uh, it, it's so validating also. And, and, you know, I think one of the great things about uh, having a long-term partner is that they are historians of our life. And being curious about them gives us that sense of uh, who they are, and, we, and it's preserved in time in us. Mm-hmm. And our partners, we're historians. So mm-hmm. that curiosity has, has great value, great value. Yeah, it really, really does. It's, it's a fascinating quality. And it's interesting how often I have couples come in and they don't have that. They're so busy arguing for their perspective and trying to convince the other that they're right and the other is wrong that it's like 
they're polarized. Right. They become. Maybe we can look at this differently. Maybe we do this differently. Yeah, they, they're talking heads and uh, nobody's yes. listening. Uh, that's why uh, this Imago approach often works well, where it's one person talking, the other person crossing the bridge to where they are and really just listening uh, without their own uh, voice interfering. It's really very valuable. And it could completely transform a relationship if somebody's struggling. And I've it's seen it happen. It's magical. And, you know, what's interesting is that if you hear me then, uh, uh, then I am much more likely to want to hear you. you know, there's that reciprocation. Yeah, so instead of fighting to be heard, to really hold space and be present and listen to the yeah. other, be curious, yeah. ask questions. Yeah, it completely so, uh, transforms relationships. Yeah, so how to make a relationship work? Very uh, somewhat briefly, because I see our time is starting to get short. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the three the three pieces that are important are forgiveness, appreciation, and optimism. Being able to forgive a person and not continue to hold a grudge is so vitally important. And then the second thing is, uh, which is, I think is the most important thing, is appreciation. And to not take anything for granted. Uh, and uh, actually, I asked my wife uh, the other day what the most important thing is in the longevity of a relationship, and she says not t- taking anything for granted and to be appreciative of mm-hmm. the other person. That's living in abundance also. Mm-hmm. And then to be optimistic, uh, looking to the future in a very positive way is so important. Uh, there's uh, this appreciation. Uh, it goes along with a mindfulness a mindfulness every day to nurture the relationship through what I call knowing acts of loving kindness. You know, you talk about random acts of loving kindness. That doesn't work. Yes. It's yes. knowing acts. I had a couple here years ago where he was from Minnesota and she was from uh, uh, California, uh, San Francisco, and he would fill her car with gas as a way of uh, being kind. It was a kind act, but it had no meaning to her. Uh, she wanted to talk about the stars and, uh, uh, you know, what happens after you die. So uh, in my relationship, uh, I know my wife loves a uh, pot of coffee in the morning. I don't drink coffee, and I get up before she does. Uh, so every morning I uh, make her a cup of coffee. Not hard to do, and she's very appreciative. And in uh, a kind of a reciprocation, uh, not that uh, we need to, that, that we measure, uh, is that uh, when I come home from work, uh, she has her uh, office in her home. She gre- she gets up and greets me, uh, hello, and that means uh, that means a lot to me. That's what I call Tammy having a conscious marriage. People tend to think that uh, they're uh, if we're right for each other, it'll just happen naturally. Never works. Never works. It is a consciousness every single day to ask yourself, what can I do to nurture and nourish this relationship uh, to make it better? I ask myself every day that question. Sometimes it's just a kind of an energetic thing where I will just think good thoughts about my wife, and, and that's, that's fine. Or it could be uh, a text or a, a call. Any of those uh, have, have meaning, but it, it's something that you have to do uh, every single day. Yeah, I say the same thing. I've been with my husband for 10 years, and people go, gosh, it seems like maybe you just started dating. And they ask me for what you know my suggestions are. And I say to lead with gratitude every day. That's it. 
lead with gratitude. You know, I articulate my appreciation. I try to do little things. I'll send him cards or, you know, just little things every day and not to take him or this relationship for granted. You've got it perfectly. That's exactly it. And that builds goodwill, uh, which uh, is a relationship and uh, is so important to the relationship. And uh, the uh, you're living in you're living in abundance. And when you do that, and that's exactly the way you want to want to do. To live it in does a- feel that way, I have to say. Right. And we don't have a lot of time here, but I think this is another really great tool if somebody's wanting to kind of shift the energy of their relationship in a more positive direction. Right. You talk about evoking and clarifying a relationship dream. Can you tell me about that? Um, well, a relationship dream is really uh, what you want uh, your future to look like. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's like uh, I have a dream of, uh, you know, I sometimes ask a couple, what's, what's your wildest dream uh, for the relationship? And they would say, well, it's being uh, to live uh, in harmony together where we, uh, you know, say wonderful things to one another and we go dancing once a week. And, and so, the, you know, to try to uh, move whatever you can towards that dream of whatever that relationship is for the two of you that's uh, having a relationship dream. By the way, do you know what, do you know what the, I think we talked about this, I'm not sure, uh, the most uh, bonding thing a couple can do? Tell me. Laugh together. <laughs> I do love that. <laughs> People think, well, you know, maybe it's sex or something like that. Nah, it's, it's laughing together. Here's the deal, here, uh, real quick, here's the deal on sex. Um, uh, that uh, Guys use sex as a way of trying, as a way of connecting with uh, their mate. And the difference is that women uh, need to connect uh, outside the bedroom and celebrate it in the bedroom. Mm. Mm. That is an interesting difference between that you see between the sexes yeah. most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know that's true. I know that's true. So yeah. interesting little tidbit there. So, but you're saying laughter will help both the men and the women. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I agree. It, laughing together. I'm not saying laughing at one another. Although, if you're okay with it, that's fine. But laughing together about something, most bonding thing, I think, a couple can do. I think so, too. And, you know, when I started getting really comfortable in my skin and could laugh at myself, definitely transformed my, when I healed the shame yeah. and I could laugh at myself. It's like yesterday I was trying to eat some cake and I don't know how this happened, but it flew off the fork and ended up in my hair and on my shoulder. My husband's just looking at me and I just... Busted up laughing at myself. He's like, what happened? I'm like, I don't even know. (laughs) I'm so so clumsy. I couldn't get the cake in my mouth. It's a new weight loss thing, I guess. I don't know. But (laughs) to be able to laugh at ourselves, it's like, it's so liberating. That's the ultimate. It was fun. It was so silly. So I I love that. And I would absolutely agree with you. It seems like we have a lot in common as far as our beliefs about maintaining lasting love relationships. And it's just wonderful. And I can't recommend your book enough for those that want to improve their relationships or maintain healthy love relationships. So, Andy, if people are interested in getting a copy of your book or knowing more about you, how can they do that? Well, um, they can get the book uh, at uh, – there's a lot of local bookstores carrying it. If, uh, if they can't find it, they can get it on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. 
they can also find out a little bit more about it by uh, looking on my website, uh, andrewwald.com. And if they wanted to contact me, for, if they have any questions, uh, feel free to email me at andrewlwald, all one word, at aol.com. Perfect. Well, this has been just such a fun conversation with you. It seems like we have so much in common. So this has just been an honor and a privilege, Andy. Just so glad you took the time out of your day to, to hang out with us here. Thank you so much. And so much of what we talked about really is in the book and expounded on even yes. more. Yes, and it is. It's so comprehensive. It's easy to understand and start to implement right away, very experiential. So, yeah, if, if again, if people want to improve the quality of their relationships or know how to do relationships in a, in a more conscious way, Togetherness <clears throat> by Cindy Dale and Andrew Wald, it's a fantastic guide to conscious relatedness. So I just want to thank you, Steve, for being um, just such an incredible producer. It's really fun to create with you in this way. And Brent Carey, thank you again for Empower Radio. This is such a fun forum to continue to expand our thinking and evolution and become more empowered in all areas of our lives. So thank you for, for creating this. I know it's been a, a big effort from your heart and I just want to acknowledge that. And to my listeners, thank you for hanging out with us here today on Journey to Center. It's always just a pleasure and a privilege and an honor to connect with you as well. And if you want to get a hold of me, please go to my website, TammyBPhD.com. That's spelled with an I, TammyBPhD.com. Write to me with your thoughts, ideas, suggestions. You want to be on the show. You have a favorite quote. I love a good quote. So, yeah, be in touch and just know that you're my heart, my prayers, and I hope to connect with you again soon. Onward and upward. Bye for now.